0: Thank you for joining us in our Luke series, the most important story ever told. So, if you got your Bibles this morning, as Rachel said, uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter five. So, you can either get those out or turn those on. I want to read the passage uh, for us this morning, um, but before I do that, I want to I want to pray for us um, and, and just reflecting that as. We were singing that, that second song of just asking for the Holy Spirit to come and move and have his being in this place, and for the Spirit to come and fall on us, just reflecting on that if we don't beg and if we are not desperate and if we do not ask and invite the Holy Spirit into this space, the next hour and 15 minutes or so that we are here on a Sunday morning is worthless. Like if we're coming in here this morning and your goal is to come and check a box that you've been to church to make yourself feel good, to go in and tell your, your friends and your coworkers that you're a Christian because you sit in a church wall, then this is wrong and this is a waste of time and we'd be better off just getting up and going to lunch. But if we come into this place and we say, no, God, I'm expecting you to do a new thing in us. I'm expecting you to teach us. I'm expecting you to move. I'm expecting to see your spirit do something radical. That either we read these words and we believe this to be true or we take Jesus and the scriptures as a lie and this time is worthless. And so as I've studied through, just reading in Acts over the last couple of weeks, you guys have, I know, spent the last five years in Acts, and so y'all should all be <laughs> experts uh, here at the cross, studying through the book of Acts. But reading through Acts, and one of the things that, that, I, that hung with me the other day is it said that the disciples and the followers of Jesus, they held a reverence for God, and they were comforted by the Spirit. But, but looking into that word reverence and realizing that, that this reverence they had for God was that there was this like prostration of their body to where they would bow before God, realizing that He was creator and He was God and He was in the control and they were not. And I think as a culture, we've diluted Jesus down to a t shirt that says, Jesus is my homeboy or God is dope and we've nullified him down and we've removed a reverence for a holy God that we're in here to talk about and we're in here to sing about and we're in here to to, to worship. And many of us have made claims that we follow this God and we follow this creator, but gosh, do we really hold a reverence for him? Like I want us to sit in that for a minute. Where is the reverence of God in our church? And so I want to invite you to bow with me. We're going to get on our knees and we're going to pray this morning. Because as we read scripture, God's people, when you read, when you read Daniel, when you read others, James was known as a man, they called him old camel knees because his knees were so gross and calloused because he spent so much time on his knees praying. How many nail salons would he have not sat in because those women would not have allowed him to get his pedicure in peace. Look at them knees, man. Why do they look like that? Because he prayed. He got on his knees. He bowed in reverence to a holy God and said, I am not God, therefore I will bow before the one that is. And so we're going to get on our knees and we're going to pray this morning. Holy Spirit, if you are not in this place, then anything that is said, any words that we just sing, they're empty. And so Holy Spirit, please come and stir in this place. Will you do a new work? Will you speak through me? Lord, I I submit and yield to whatever you want said. God, I pray that every mind and every heart in this place, first of all, we just, in the name of Jesus, we rebuke any distractions. We rebuke the spirit of the enemy that would want to come in and disrupt this time. We rebuke anything that would hinder your people. God, those who are followers of you and those who aren't. Those that maybe came in deeply in love with you and those that come in because they're searching for something. Holy Spirit, will you open us up to experience you, to see you. That we wouldn't just read these words as a good book, but that we'd read these words and these teachings of you as the words from a living God who is with us in our midst. So please come, Holy Spirit. We are desperate to see you move in the name of Jesus. We ask, Amen. You get back in your seats. We'll be in Romans five, verse twenty-seven. We'll be uh, 27 through, what did I say? Romans, Romans, we'll get to Romans later. We're in Luke 5 to start, thank you. If y'all want to interact with me, great. I love, I'd rather teach to some folks who want to, want to interact than for me to talk the whole time. So if you want to throw in your, uh, your two cents, uh, we'll, we can talk about it. Luke 5, 27 through 39. It says that uh, after this, Jesus went out and he saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And it says that Levi got up, he left everything and he followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to the disciples. They said, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? I love the Pharisees asked the disciples, but yet Jesus is the one that answered and said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. He said, I came to call not the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The Pharisees, they said to him, well, John's disciples often fast and pray and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours go on eating and drinking. Jesus answered him can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them but the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them and in those days they will fast these are the verses we're going to hang out in for the most part And Jesus verse 36 he told this parable he said no one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one otherwise they will have torn the new garment and the patch from the new will not match the old And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins. The wine will run out. The wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for they say that the old is better. I've got this deep burden in my soul for the church I've got such a desire to see the walls of the church, the establishment of religiosity as the church has created Jesus to be, to be broken down. I've got this burning and this ache that when I look at the church and we have formed church, we have formed Jesus and following Jesus to be this hour plus we do on a Sunday morning inside the walls of a building. And we've got to have coffee, we've got to have a good kid's service, we've got to have good worship, we've got to have a great worship leader, we need lights, we need comfort, we need pleasure, and church has been diluted down to this thing where religious, uh, religiosity and this thing that has that never was created to be has been built up. And my soul has been aching to see that this stuff be broken down and torn down. Been praying and, saying, and just asking like, God, would your spirit come and rid your people of this way of thinking? God, would you, would you deconstruct the way that we have turned church into being and following you to look like? And I love in John chapter 17, Jesus prays something multiple times right before he goes to the cross for his believers. He prays something very specific and says that in doing this, in this one act, the world will know who I am and who I've been sent from. You know what that one thing was? Over and over, Jesus prays for unity and oneness. In John 17, he says, God, I pray that they will be one as we are one. Gotta pray that they will be unified together. And in doing so, when the followers of me, when those who I have called back to the Father, when they are joined together in unity and oneness, it says, in doing so, the world will know that you are my disciples, and they will know that I was truly sent from the Father. It says unity, oneness is this powerful way that the world will know who Jesus is. And yet Satan also is very much so aware of the same truth. Satan also is aware and the enemy is aware that the way the church begins to have this deep, powerful movement that we read back in Acts, the way that we saw the church explode in the early days, the way that we see the church exploding in other countries and other nations is because there's this tight-knit oneness, tight-knit oneness And this unity that is being built up in the body. And in doing so, Satan's kingdom is threatened. And that's when the gates of hell will not prevail. But yet in our culture, we have allowed the enemy to begin to breed in and put this wedge of disunity amongst the people. And we see disunity everywhere. Whether that's political disunity or racial disunity or religious disunity. You drive a mile down the road and there's seven or eight churches on either side of the road because disunity has begun to to breed its way and begin to intersect itself inside the church. And so it's, uh, it's not uncommon for us to drive down the road and see seven different churches of different denominations. Why? Because the enemy, we've opened up a door inside the church, inside the body to say, hey, come and play your game with us. And because you don't agree with what I agree with, we can't do life together. Because your political views are different than my political views or or your doctrine and theology is a little bit different than mine, then we have no place together. We sure can't worship together and we sure won't come under the roof under the same church of the same living God together. Maybe we'll meet up for lunch. God prays, no, 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 God, it's like the world will know who I am and that you're followers of me through oneness, this closeness as a body joined together. Paul will write that that you are a body being formed to one another. Peter says, you guys are like building blocks, like these little Lincoln logs that God's building together to form his spiritual temple. And in the temple is where the spirit of God dwelt. And the scripture says that if you guys would understand that by being one together, by joining together, God, that's where the presence of God dwells is in those places. And disunity has crept in and, it is, and it's beginning to crumble the church and we're seeing our freaking teeth get kicked in right now. And there's this max at mass exodus of people walking away from the church because religious thinking, cultural preferences and disunity is ruling the church. And it's common to us. We have allowed this to become a way of thinking that is normal. And in this passage, we read here with Jesus, he calls Levi to follow him. And Jesus is sitting here at this dinner with Levi and all of his buddies. And the Pharisees come up and they say, Jesus, what are you doing? Who were the Pharisees? They were church folk. The Pharisees say, what are you doing? Why are you hanging out with them? Don't you know who you're eating with? Don't you know who you're spending time with? Jesus, you can't say things like that. Don't you know that the things you're doing and the things that you're saying, they're not the way we do things around here. This is how church folks do it. This is the way that that we do things. What you're doing is not acceptable. In Jesus' reply in verse 37, he says, no one pours new wine into an old skin. He said, otherwise the new wine will burst the skin and the wine will run out and the whole wine skin will be ruined. He says, new wine must be poured into a new wine skin. And he uses this parable, this analogy, because back in that day when you would make wine, you would crush it, you would press it, it would be in the threshing floor of the grapes being broken down. And then when you would take the grape juice or the wine that was being created, you would pour it into a wineskin. And what would take place in that wineskin is the chemical reaction of fermentation would take place. I feel like I'm teaching you guys science class now. I never did good in science, this is my one chance. There was this fermentation process that would begin to take place and the gases of the wine would start to to form. And it would expand the leather and contract and expand and contract until the wine came to its stable place of, of rest. And so Jesus is speaking to a culture that they made wine frequently. He says, when you guys make wine, you would never take an old, crusty, unmalleable piece of leather wineskin to pour new wine into it. Why? Because when you do that, you know that that wineskin being old and crusted leather, it it can't move, there's no pliability to it. So all of this work you've done to create this new wine You are now going to pour it into a skin that's going to erupt and explode when the fermentation process takes place. And people would have thought and said, yeah, obviously, we would never be so dumb as to try to put new wine into an old skin. He says, no, if you want to create new wine, you need new skin. You need something that is pliable. You need something that is going to move and expand and contract and have some malleability with what will take place in this new new wine. He says, because if you don't, what is poured in will explode, it'll run out, and it'll be ruined. And he's looking at the church folks, and he's saying, you guys are so caught up in your religious, cultural, thinking that you've got it all figured out way in the kingdom of God, that I am trying to pour this new way of thinking and belief into what the kingdom of God is truly like. And you can't accept it because you're stuck in old ways of thinking. He said you're you're, you're stuck in this old skin, old religious, old church way of thinking and I'm trying to do a new thing in you guys and I'm trying to pour out a new thing into you and you can't accept it and if I do pour out, it's going to explode and it's going to spill on the ground and it's going to be ruined. So I can't pour out into you until you throw out the old skin. I, I can't pour into you until you get rid of your old way of thinking. Jesus continuously showed us in the gospels that the way of the kingdom of God looks nothing like what man expected it to. Right, like they expected a revolutionary. They expected somebody to come and overthrow Rome. They expected this powerful, mighty king. And they got it, they just didn't get it the way they expected. They got a powerful, mighty king. They got a ruler, they got a leader but it looked totally different than what their expectation was. Hello, somebody. The expectation was wrong, so they couldn't accept who Jesus truly was. And Jesus looks at these church folks, he looks at the Pharisees and the religious leaders, and he says, I can't do a new thing in you until you throw out the old. And so we're gonna look at two examples this morning. And we're going to ask the question, what are the old skin ways of thinking that we need to get rid of? What are the old ways of belief? What are the religious systems, the cultural systems? What has been created in man's wisdom? Like, what is that? (laughs) That we've created these systems and things in place in the way that we think that we are to follow Jesus. And Jesus said, no, that's not it. You've got to get rid of that. You've got to throw it away. If you're taking notes this morning the first thing we see <clears throat> the old skin way of thinking is says to follow Jesus is to live safe and comfortable and I think for us as a culture here as southern Christian Americans we have adopted this belief that well if I follow Jesus and Jesus wants he just wants what's best for me he wants me to, to to have enough. He wants me to be comfortable. He wants me to have the good job. He wants me to have my dream home. He wants me to have that nice new truck. Man, like Jesus' desire for me is to be safe and comfortable. Like any time that 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 I feel like I'm being stretched a little bit or pushed outside my comfort zone or asked to step into something a little scary, then that's obviously not of God because God would never ask me to, to do that, right? The old skin way of thinking it's to follow Jesus to be comfortable. And we see here as Jesus calls Levi or Matthew as he's referred to in other, in other gospels. That when he says follow me it says Levi left everything and followed him. That, that, that when Jesus called the disciples, when Jesus called people in the scriptures to follow him, he didn't say, hey, first go and sell all your stuff, invest it into the market, stock it away for a rainy day, put it in your savings account, go liquidate all your things so that way when you come back one day it's safe and it's there. He says, no, leave it all and come and follow me. The rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, I've, man, I've done everything that there is to be done to, to receive eternal life. I've honored the Ten Commandments. I'm good to my mom and dad. Like, what else do I need to do? Jesus says that he was a man of, of great wealth. And he said, man, go sell all your stuff. Get rid of it all and come follow me. And said the man went away so sorrowful, so sad, because he was a man of many possessions. And we see that the invitation to Jesus isn't, hey, come follow me and I will make everything okay for you in the sense of worldly possessions. But he says, hey, come follow me, be willing to leave everything, be willing to sell everything, be willing to walk away from comfort and pleasure and see that the life that I'm actually inviting you into is more enjoyable than what those possessions will ever give you. He says, hey, walk away from it, leave it. You don't need that stuff. If you want to adopt this new wine, if you want to receive this new thing that I'm doing in the kingdom, you've got to throw away the way of thinking that says it's all about comfort and pleasure. And I think we we, we say like, Jesus, yes, I'm willing to follow you. Jesus, I will give you everything. God, I surrender all to you. Whatever you want, you can have. Except for my bank account. (laughs) I don't know if I can fully trust you with what you, you want to do there. Jesus, I give you everything to follow you except for my weekends. Man, you know I work hard. I just need to be able to blow off some steam. Jesus, I give you everything of me except for my gossip and slander times because, man, people just kind of tick me off and I need to tell somebody. It's just venting, you know. It's not gossip, it's just venting. God, I give you everything except for my addictions. I give you everything except for my social media and my Netflix. I give you everything except dot, dot, dot. And we read in Acts that the followers of Jesus seem to take this pretty literal when it came to following Jesus with everything. I love in Acts 2, 44 through 45. Luke writes, he says that all the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. The early church, they were unified. They're seeing the gospel explode into other parts of the world. They are one in mind, one in spirit, one in resources. When Jesus said, hey, come follow me and be willing to give up anything, they said, hey, Jesus said, be willing to give up anything. They took it literal. They said, hey, Rick, if you are in need, then I'm willing to go sell my car to resource some finances to be able to help you. Hey, if you need somewhere to sleep, I'm willing to give up my bed and give up a room in my home for you to have somewhere to stay. Hey, if you guys are in need as the body of believers, what's mine is not mine. It has been given to me by God in the first place. What do you need? The new skin way of thinking says, Jesus, to follow you means to give up whatever, to be willing and ready at any point to use the resources, the gifts, what you've given me to bless your people. Just give it up. I was talking with a good friend of mine just a couple days ago because the Lord has been stirring this in me. And we were talking and hear me say this, guys, I'm not saying go and just get rid of you know everything for the sake of having no financial wisdom but I do believe that we put so much we put thousands and thousands and hundreds of thousands of dollars potentially based on your bracket into a day and an age which we are hoping to attain to one day that we are not guaranteed to get to we invest and we save and we stock away and we say hey when I'm 60 years old man I'm gonna have it good I'm going to live for retirement. I'm going to save for retirement. I'm going to put everything I have away so that my golden years are lived in comfort and pleasure. And it's just been in my soul, my God, how much do we invest into our golden years more so than we're investing in what you're doing in the kingdom right now? My mentor was sharing a story of a pastor he knows and they were uh, having a campaign for something and he was calling his people to basically give uh, sacrificially above and beyond what they were already giving. And so he's, he's sharing this with his people and he says that God began to speak to him. He says, but how serious are you about this? And he said this pastor was 50 years old. He was a pastor of a huge church, incredibly impactful church making well for himself, had a lot saved away for that 10 to 15 years down the road for him. And he said, God one day was like, how serious are you? How serious are you about calling to sacrificial giving that way? And he says that he goes and calls every one of his financial investors, everyone that had uh, stock portfolios with him, whatever he owned, he liquidated everything and on a Wednesday night stroked a check for every dollar to his name, except for just enough to basically get him and his wife to the weekend. Liquidated everything. Said, of course, his financial advisors were like, Are you nuts? What are you doing? You man, Jesus calls us to, to leave everything and to give. And he said within two or three years that everything had been restored two or three times. God have restored two or threefold what He gave in sacrificial giving. And I don't say that again, from the sense of like God, we're giving all this stuff to you, so in return, you are to bless us, but no, like the heart of it is, Jesus, if I want to receive the new wine that you're willing to pour into us as followers of you into the church, I'm willing to give it up. It's not mine anyways. Nothing I own, no talents, abilities, possessions I have are mine in the first place. They were a gift. They were a gift. And if we see them like ours, then we hold these closed fists. And yet the posture in which we open our hands to give is the same posture in which we open our hands to receive. You see the comparison there? That when we open up our hands to release, it's the same posture that we have when we're able to receive. Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, if you want to receive this new one, the new skin way of thinking says, I'm willing to leave everything if you're calling me to. And I'm not telling you to go and cash everything out and to say, well, we may not be here tomorrow, so I might as well spend it. No, I believe God calls us to be financially wise for kingdom impact, not financially wise for personal pleasure and comfort. There's a big difference there. God, I want to be financially wise in my saving. I want to be financially wise in the things that we spend our money on so that when you say there's a need, then we are able to meet that need. Not so I can live for glory and pleasure and possessions right now. Because the kingdom of God is so much bigger than having to have the next new thing. The second thing we see in this passage the old skin way of thinking for a lot of us says to follow Jesus is to hang out with other Christians, right? Like when I get saved and I start following Jesus, it's way easier more comfortable to stay in my church bubbles. I don't know if I want to hang out with those people. They might taint my spirit, right? Might put a little blemish on um, me trying to follow Jesus. And we've gotten stuck a little bit in this cultural Christian church mindset. It's like, nah, I'm just going to kind of spend time with my church people. We speak this Christianese language. When they ask how you're doing, all I got to say is fine. And they won't press any more about it. And we're good. Jesus' new skin way of thinking says to follow Jesus is to spend time with the outsiders. In a sermon Chuck Smith preached, he's a pastor at Calvary Chapel Church a while back over in California. He said that in England, we have a good friend named Jim who pastors another Calvary Chapel affiliate in the Northern part near Manchester. He said, and Jim's ministry is in the pubs. He goes down to the pubs three or four nights a week and has a tremendous ministry there in the pubs, witnessing to the people who are getting drunk. And he is an outstanding witness for Christ. He said, oh, he gets a lot of flack from the other ministers in the town because he spends so much time in the pub, but he is following the example of the Lord, going where they are to reach them and to bring them out. Who had an issue with Jim's approach of ministry? The church folk. Jim saw a need. Jim said, there's a group of people that congregate together in the local pubs because they're looking for something. They're looking for comfort. They're looking for community. They're looking for something there. And they're not going to find it in that bottle. So why don't I go to the place in which the hurting are? Jesus said, I didn't come to call the righteous, but I came to call the sick. I came to be a doctor to the sick. Jim saw I need He said, man, there's a lot of sick people looking for something there. Why would I not go and take ministry to those people? Because the old skin and the religious and the church folks say, yeah, 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 it doesn't look good. It doesn't look good for you to go and spend time in those areas. Uh, Yeah, the perception is, uh, it's just not a good look. And a lot like we read in Jim, we see Jesus all the time. He's like, I don't care what you guys think is the right look. I'm going to the people who are in need. I'm going to the people who are hurting. We read in Romans chapter 10, verse 13. It'll be on the screen. You don't have to flip over there. Romans 10, verse 13, he says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then, though, can they call on the one that they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent as it is written how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news how is anyone ever going to know the hope and the love of Jesus if you don't go and tell him how is anyone going to be able to hear about who Jesus is if you don't go he said well Benji where do I go go to your family go to your friends go to your work, go to your kid's ball field, whatever your watering hole is where you join together with other people. Jesus says, that's where you go. That's where you go because we have an obligation. If we really believe the series in Luke, you guys have titled the greatest story ever told. If we believe that this is the greatest story ever told and you have received that story, you have received the hope and the love and the salvation and the freedom and the rescuing power of Jesus and if that's the greatest story ever told in your story, why would we not tell people? I was like, it would be like being on a ship that is steering straight towards this mountain of rocks and we're full steam ahead heading into those rocks. And you think, man, stuff is about to get bad. And you run back and you find this secret closet where all the life vests are. And you run in there and you duck in there and you grab a life vest and you come back out and you strap that thing on. You think, man, I know this thing is about to go south pretty quick, but I got my life vest on. I'm good when we crash, when this thing goes down. I know I'll be all right. And then you look around and everyone else is frantic and they see we're also heading to destruction and they see that things are about to get bad really, really quick and they're, and they're frantic and they're fearful. And in their fear, they start arguing and they start fighting and they start hurting each other because they're like, How, don't you see where we're headed? We have no hope, I'm afraid, we're about to die. We're standing back here in our life vest and we said, man, I hate it for those folks. I found my life vest i got to make sure i got enough for me and my wife and my kids. We're good. And we we, we don't seem to care to to realize that there's an entire group of people that they're so afraid. They're doing things out of fear that looks like hate and evil because they're scared and they have no hope. Show them where you found your vest. Show them where hope is. How are they going to know if you don't go and tell them? How are you going to, how are they going to know where the hope and life and peace and freedom of Jesus is if you don't go? He said, Guys, how beautiful are the feet of those who go and spread the good news of Jesus. And we see Jesus time and time again. He says, I came for the sick. I came for those who are hopeless. I came for the hurting. I want to eat with you. Our culture, we don't value, we don't value uh, the, the um, intimacy of a meal like this culture did. We eat in front of our TVs, we eat in our cars, we eat on the run. When you go into this culture where Jesus was having a meal and when we spent time in Israel this summer, Attah was the guy, he was a Muslim man uh, that, that did all of our touring for us. He was the head of our, our touring and Atta lived in this little bitty village that had been absolutely desecrated by uh, the Israelis. And, and, but, but Atta and his family, they were so proud of their little village. They were so proud of their little garden. And there's 30 to 35 of us on this trip in Israel this summer. And Atta and his family said, man, we want you guys to come to our house and we want to feed you. Because in that culture, a meal is this deep moment of intimacy as soon as we got to Israel Atah bought some bread and he broke it and gave pieces to everybody because he said hey when we eat this together we're now family that a meal was this intimate sign of love and so we go when we sit at Atah's backyard in this beautiful just like cascade of olive trees and garden we eat some of the best stinking food And in that place, Atta was saying, I see you guys as one of us now. You are family to me. And so when Jesus sits down with people like tax collectors, he's saying, I see you. I want to be intimate with you. I want to invite you in. And the religious, they would see the tax collectors. And it said that if they were walking past them on the street, they would move their coattails because they didn't even want their robes to touch them. He said, we will not associate with those people. No way. Jesus says, no, those are the people that need the hope. Those are the people that are desperate for the hope of Jesus. And we see that for us to adopt this new skin way of thinking, for Jesus to pour out a new thing in his people, we've got to be willing to go sit with the outsiders. And when Jesus, I love when he calls Peter and Andrew and James and John and says, hey, come and I will make you to become fishers of men. You're you're fishing for actual fish now. Come and I will make you fishers of men. But I love that what Jesus says, he's like, come and I will make you to become fishers of men. So we say, well, how do we then begin to adopt this new skin way of thinking so that the spirit and Jesus can pour a new thing into us? Jesus says that if you will come and follow me, I will make you to become one. I will make you to become one who doesn't have the fear and has the full freedom to leave everything and follow me. Come and follow me and I will make you to become one who has the wisdom and the understanding of how to go to sit with the outsiders. Come and follow me and I will make you to become. The pressure is not on us to figure it out. The pressure is on us to make a decision on whether or not we're gonna follow him. And say, I don't wanna stay stuck in, in my religious thing. I don't wanna stay stuck in my denominational preferences. I don't wanna stay stuck in, in my cultural religious things. But he says, no, come and follow me and I will make you to become fishers of men. I will make you to become these things. Yeah, and One of the just an incredible testimony of where I've seen the Lord do this recently is um, I serve on staff of NG3. And so we do character development and discipleship and mentoring in high schools. And so part of our job is that we are to, to find people inside the body of believers to so then equip them, bring them with us and multiply inside the schools, adult men and women who are intentionally finding a group of 10 to 12 high school students to be discipled. And so about a year and a half ago, this guy, Kurt, came to me. And Kurt at the time was about 25 years old, good old boy from Good Hope, Monroe, Georgia, mechanic, good dude, paycheck to paycheck family, very humble means. He says, man, I want to figure out a way to get involved. And at the time, the only place that I really had to put Kurt was with the basketball team. And now again, mind you, Kurt's about 5'9", five, 5'10", five, white dude, mechanic, Best fit for the place that we had the need was with a bunch of kids from the hood that were absolutely, could not be any farther apart in in relational connection from the two of each other. And I said, man, there's a need that needs to be filled there. Kurt says, I'll go. And so for the last year and a half, Kurt has faithfully been pouring in to this group of African-American kids, all of which are from the hood, all of which pretty much have busted up homes and broken families and single parents and live in great poverty and Kurt thrown throwing away the denominational or the cultural, he's just like, man, it doesn't matter. God. There's a need there, that is my pub. I'm gonna go and love these kids. And about a year and a half in, it's about three weeks ago, after about a year and a half of walking with these guys, that this kid, one of the kid's name, um, his name I won't say, but one of these kids got to a place where he's like, man, I wanna know Jesus. I wanna follow Jesus. This 17 year old, six foot four, good looking kid, good athlete. He said, man, I want to know Jesus. And so he and Kurt pray in the car one night and this kid surrenders to the lordship of Jesus. And shortly after that, they begin to talk in the car more and the kid begins to open up more. He's like, man, I've been homeless for the last couple months. We got evicted. We got, my family member had a weapon in the home. It got raided. We got kicked out. We had to go. I've been going from couch to couch. I have nowhere to live. Without even thinking, without even asking his wife, Kurt said, you come live with me you come live, you can come live at my house. And he said, I just knew in that moment, like there's a need that needs to be met right there. How are we gonna make it work? I don't know. I got three kids of my own under the age of five years old. I I got a wife, I'm trying to pay the bills. I'm trying to put food on our own table. But the Lord has placed this need. He has unified this relationship. He has broken down disunity racially and socially and religiously. He has broken this down to bring unity together. And there's a need to be met. So I'm willing to give whatever it takes. I will leave whatever I have to. I will give whatever I have to to pour into this kid. You need somewhere to stay, you come to my house. You need something to eat, we will feed you. This kid now has got his own room. He's got his own bay. He's got his own TV. He gets to eat a warm meal every night. Kurt told me the other night it was about midnight. He's got a newborn, about four or five months old. He said I was, the newborn was asleep on my chest and I was, uh, fell asleep in my recliner down in the living room and somebody just kind of walked over and I heard him say, hey, what's up, Kurt? He's like, who in the world? He said, looked up and it was this other, one of the other basketball players. 12 o'clock on a Thursday night on a school night. He said, but the amazing and the beautiful thing there is that these guys could be anywhere else. But Jesus has begun pouring this new wine into these relationships to say, hey man, I know I'm loved and I'm safe and I'll be taking care of Kurt's house. And so these kids are coming in and Kurt is having amazing, amazing impact and reach with a bunch of basketball players. And it's nothing fancy, it's nothing showy. He feeds them, they read scripture and he welcomes them into his home. Every week for a year and a half, every Thursday night, those boys will be at Kurt's house eating a meal, opening up God's word and doing life together in community. And the spirit of God is moving in a group of six to 10 high school basketball players. Where do we as a church today, individually as a believer and as a community of believers, where do we need to begin to throw away old skin ways of thinking? Because it cannot hold the newness of what Jesus is wanting to do. Holy Spirit, show us where do we need to throw away these old ways of thinking to where we are missing out on what the Spirit wants to do in the church today because we are not willing to throw away this old way of thinking. We are not willing to adopt a new way of thinking to say, Jesus is saying, I can do something with that. I can begin to move and pour into that. If you don't throw it away, Anything I pour out will run out, be busted, and ruined. So why would I do it? Why would I pour something out into you that is going to be ruined? So we've got to ask, Holy Spirit, where do we need to just throw away old thinking patterns? For the last year for me, walking with a mentor, the prayer has been, God, will you deconstruct in my mind and heart any wrong way of viewing you, of thinking of you, of worshiping you, of following you? Will you refine that stuff out of me? Will you just get rid of it? Because as long as my thinking pattern, as long as my belief in following you is this certain way, I'm missing out on so much. Because God's natural is supernatural. And until we ask the Lord to give us this new skin way of thinking, we will never be able to fully see the supernatural that God wants to do here in Loganville as it is in heaven until we give those things up to him. Jesus prayed. He taught the disciples to pray. He says, Gotta pray that it'll be on earth as it is in heaven. And for the prayers, they have to say, Lord, I want to see it in Monroe as it is in heaven. I want to see it in my family as it is in heaven. I want to see it in my place of work as it is in heaven. And to do so, I need you to align my heart and my mind and my life with what you're doing. Not try to get you and manipulate you to align yourself with what I want. So we say, God, where where are these old ways of thinking that we just need to throw away? What do you need to rebuke? Holy Spirit, what do you need to refine out of us? Worship band, if you guys wanna head this way. Malachi will write in his his prophecy of, of Jesus to come, he said, one is coming that will sit like a refiner of fire, a refiner of silver. And the idea that when a refiner would grab a metal, that they would put it into a basin and they would heat it up to extreme temperatures and it was hot. And what would happen in the burning and the heat of the refining processes, all the impurities would be stirred to the surface and the refiner would come and he would take off the top layer and the metal would be a little bit cleaner and he'd heat it up again. And all the impurities would begin to be bubbled to the top again, and he would clean it off again. And he would do this process over and over and over until the refiner could look down at the silver and see his reflection. And Malachi says, there is one that will come. There is one to come that will sit like a refiner of silver. And he's speaking of Jesus because when Jesus came, the invitation that we have as followers of Jesus is to say, now Jesus, will you as the refiner stir within me, heat up my life, show me what is inside of me that is impure. And in doing so, will you clean the surface and God, it's going to be painful, and it's going to be hard, and it might hurt a little bit. But when you heat me up again, and when you keep cleaning off, when you keep cleaning off the impurities, and so one day when you look down at me, you will see your reflection in my life. God, I want—I want, I, I want to—I want to be able to reflect who you are. And the only way that's going to take place is if you refine out of me wrong beliefs, wrong motives, sin. If you don't lead us into repentance, none of this will ever happen. David Guzik says, he said, Jesus reminds us that what is old and stagnant often cannot be renewed or reformed. He said, God will often look for new vessels to contain his new work until those vessels eventually make themselves unusable. He said, this reminds us that the religious establishment of any age is not necessarily pleasing to Jesus. And sometimes it is actually in direct opposition to his work or at least resisting his work. This is so powerful. Blaise Pascal, he said, men never do evil so completely and cheerfully as when they do it from a religious conviction. And so Jesus ends this parable in verse 39 by saying, and no one after drinking the old wine wants the new, for they say the old's better. Uh, at least with the old wine, I know uh, I know how to play the game. At least with the old wine, uh, I, I can somewhat see where my manipulated uh, ending of it can be at. If the old wine, things are comfortable and they're normal. Jesus says rarely will somebody drink new wine and think, yes, I want more of that. And my prayer for us this morning as we step into a place of worship is that we will repent and we will ask God will you refine out of me these old ways of thinking God will you refine out of us Lord call me to my knees and say Lord where do I need to repent right now Lord, Lord where are these, these wrong ways of thinking where are my wrong motives been I just need to get on my knees I need somebody to lay hands on me I need to confess something The enemy and Satan has no power in truth. He cannot stand in truth because he is a God of lies. And so when we come to brother, when we come to sister, we say, I've got to confess something to you. Confessing literally means to tell the truth. So when we come up to somebody and say, I need to tell you the truth about an area in my life, what we are doing is we are immediately severing and disarming the enemy's ability to lead you in that any longer. And so some of us might need to come up here and say, I just need to tell the truth to somebody about what's going on. Maybe it's a sin. Maybe it's just a struggle. Maybe it's just this depravity that you're living in now. I just need to tell the truth to somebody so that Jesus can begin to speak his truth into it. Jesus, what do you need to refine out of me? Last thing I'll say before I pray is in a a podcast I listened to recently that uh, was done, they had spent some time and the Asbury revival that's going on right now at Asbury University up in Kentucky. They said it was just amazing that when you walked into this place, there was no production, there was no light show, the the, the lights were on there there, there was no fancy band there was no mega church pastor up there preaching he said all it was was a room filled to the brim with people that were emptied of themselves and desperate for Jesus and they were seeing the spirit move guys like they they walked in they said man whatever I need to get rid of I'm going to get rid of it why because I want to see the spirit move There's no production. Fox News said, hey, can we come and film what's going on? And they said, no. Fox News guy said, the only time anybody ever says no to a TV camera is either because what's taking place is not true or what's taking place does not need a camera to validate it and help it grow. And they said, we don't need your cameras. We don't need you to come and try to televise and prove what's going on because we know in this place that what's taking place is a move of the Holy Spirit of a living God and we don't need anybody to try to promote that. And so Jesus, we ask in this time, will you humble us? Will you lead us to repentance? God, will you lead us to confession? Will you show us Lord, what are just the wrong ways that we are following you and serving you? Lord, where are you sending us to go? Who are the people that you are calling us to go and share with? Holy Spirit, I gosh, we don't want this book, as we read it, just to be this book of myths and fiction. We wanna see this stuff be proven to be true. We wanna see, Lord, that when we come together in unity and oneness, that when we're willing to leave everything, that when we go to the outsider, that when we join together as a unified body, that your spirit can move, that power can take place, we wanna see, Lord, that because you operate in the supernatural, that we will begin to see supernatural things take place. God, that healings will take place, prophetic words will be given, that tongues will be prayed, that, that the spirit of God and the gospel will explode out of Loganville. God, and that you will refine, that you will refine out of us our religious ways because you are a relational God not a religious one that dies on the hill of personal preference and doctrine. So will you just cleanse that out of us? Holy Spirit, we just ask and we beg that you will come and move and have your being in the name of Jesus, amen.